Welcome to Makers Chat, a podcast community for creatives. I'm your host, Danielle Kaminsky, artist, maker, and educator in South Carolina. If you are a creative business owner, then you're in the right place. This episode is part of a special five-week series with our special guest, Hillary Kay, business coach and Enneagram expert. We believe that the Enneagram is more than a personality test. It is an amazing tool that we can use to not only better understand ourselves, but to better understand those around us. We'll begin each episode one-on-one with Hillary herself as we deep dive into each type, and then we'll chat with a creative who has used the tool to see how it has helped them in their business. So let's jump right in. So we're back again. This time we're going to be talking about the type two, and I have Miss Hillary Kay with me. She is an Enneagram and business coach. And tell us, Hillary, what we need to know about the type two, their motivations, their fears, and how that plays out for them and when it comes to business. Sure, absolutely. So type twos are known as the helper or the giver. Um, That is their Enneagram moniker. Um, They're core motivators. What Enneagram twos thrive off of is being loved being wanted, being needed. They love that attention. That's what fuels them. And that's what makes them want to be givers and helpers is because they need that, um, that love, that wanting, that needing attention. And just like how we talked about in the last episode of the type ones, you know, more motivators and fears, it, the fear is often the opposite, right, <laughs> of the motivator. So the type two's fear is really being unloved, right? And no one liking them and no one wanting them, no one needing them. Um, and so that is, that is definitely, a, you know, a struggle, um, for the type two, um, but because right on, on the good side of being a helper and a giver, their strengths are amazing when it comes to being a business owner, right? Because, because of that, they're like, what can I do to help? What can I do to serve, um, my customers? So twos are super responsive. They're super giving of their time. And this can actually, the giving of their time is something that I often have to coach two business owners on is they give so much out for free that it's really important as a type two business owner to make sure you're charging for your worth, that you're not just giving, 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 you're being, you know, compensated for your gifts and talents. Um, They are also really warm. Um, type twos just come off as really warm and supportive. Um, they are in the heart center, which we talked about, um, in the previous episode, how the Enneagram is broken down into three different centers, intelligence centers, which is how you best take action and make decisions, um, in your life. And so they're in the heart center. So um, they feel deeply about things and you can feel that whenever you are around a two, that their love and um, empathy for others is palpable. And so they're also going to best make decisions for themselves, both personally and professionally by using that heart and using those feelings and that desire to help and desire to give. Um, to others. But because of that, on the flip side, um, this is when we go into those other connection points of a type two. 
Um, we have, you know, we talked about how there's five connection points. It's really important if you're a type two out there to realize don't only read stuff about the two. You have four other types that are really important for you to learn about. And for the two, that's their wings, that type one um, and type three, which are the numbers on either side of them in the diagram. You can pick up the strengths um, of each of those friends, each of those sidekicks for you as you're on, on your journey. Um, and then it's also important for you to understand the type you go to in health or in the flow and when you're stressed. Um, and type twos go to a type four when they're healthy and in the flow, really in tune with um, not only others' feelings, but their feelings too. Um, um, but when they're stressed, when they're headed to burnout, right, when their personal life and professional life, right, there's not that balance um, there that we all want. Um, type twos will start to exhibit more of those um, challenging behaviors of a type eight. Um, so for a type two, when you're noticing things like you're being demanding or more aggressive, or maybe you're realizing that, you know, you're becoming unapproachable, which is completely the opposite of what you want, right? Um, or even resenting, this is really big for type two um, business owners, especially as they become very resentful of their work. Um, which is really, really, really hard because you're wanting, um, you know, your work is what you're using to give and help people. So when you're noticing that you're becoming resentful of others or your work, or you don't even want to be around people, um, that means that your cup is empty, that you're headed to burnout. And um, type twos, you know, they give and give and give. We talked about that just a little bit ago with their work right? But you also give and give and give up yourself. Um, and so you need to make sure that you're managing that cup that as much as you have going out, you need that same thing coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what would you say, and you, you've kind of said this a little bit, but even more so, what would you say is truly like the superpower of a type two, that strength that they have that they really should tap into? when they're looking at their business and how they serve people. Mm -hmm. So the type two's superpower is that you know people's needs before they even do. You are so aware of other people. You think of others first. And so that looks differently, right? Depending on the type of business that you have, but that may be when, you know, a customer is coming to you and asking, like, what, what would fit here? You have that unique gift to be able to just identify that need right away by asking them. You're so type twos are great at asking questions. Um, that goes into, you know, their responsive nature. They, they are just very good at that conversation flow. Um, and so that is definitely, and especially as an entrepreneur, right? Knowing your customers' needs mm -hmm. um, before they do, that is definitely the type two superpower. Yeah. And what about that guardrail? What would you say is the thing that, and I know that you've said, of course, when, when a two is self-aware and they can see that they're heading toward the, the challenging and the assertiveness, but mm -hmm. what is a message that you think they might hear from their 
either from their customers or from their colleagues or people that are working with them in business that might be a red flag for them to realize, ooh, I'm headed toward burnout? Sure. Um, it could be something like, you seem really closed off. Or, gosh, what's wrong with you? You're not your normal, happy self. You know, like you seem angry today. What's going on? <laughs> um, because type twos are generally have that bubbly, right, warm personality. So if they seem closed off or, you know, kind of keeping to themselves more, that's that's more of that red flag. Um, you know, if people start to mention um, something like that or even so if a customer comes to you and says, hey, like I emailed you a couple days ago and I haven't heard back. That's like a good sign for the type two to either say, oh, wait, wait a second. Like I'm way overloaded. Like yeah. I need to be the one to ask for help right now, which is very hard for a type two. Or if they're not, if they know they're not overloaded, that means something might be going on personally. That is definitely, you know, where they're either resenting their work or, you know, something's going on that they need to take care of. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Hillary. I appreciate it. Looking forward to talking about the type threes next week. So thank you for joining us again. Thank you so much. For more from Hillary, including information on how to get on the wait list for her upcoming book release, Unlock Your Potential at Work, The Beginner's Guide to Using the Enneagram at Work, all you have to do is visit the link in our show notes or head on over to her website, hillarykay.com. That's H-I-L-L-A-R-I-E-K-A-Y.com. Now let's talk to this week's creative. So today we are talking with my friend Sarah Beth Settle. And she has a business and a blog called Settled in Grace, and you can find her online, and we'll link all of that in the show notes. But Sarah is joining us as an Enneagram Type 2. So, hey, Sarah, how are you? I am good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on here. Um, We were laughing a little bit in a a separate phone conversation this morning, and I was talking about how nervous I kind of was to ask a type two because I was afraid they wouldn't tell me no, even if they didn't want to do it. (laughs) Yeah, but see, the thing about being a type two is um, by being asked and by doing it, you kind of get that affirmation that somebody needs you for something. So it actually works out really well for me. That's true. That's true. So how long have you known that you were a type two? When did you first hear about the Enneagram? Um, so I would say January of 2020, um, I was serving as a leader in the garden ministry and we were encouraged to go find out what our Enneagram was. And so I went on Truity and took the Enneagram test and, um, so it's been almost two years that I've known I was a type two, but it probably, I would say no, not even that long, because it probably took me a month or so to read through everything and figure out what I really was, <laughs> because I had of the different Enneagram types, I think I had six that were between 54% and 61% match. Yeah, And so it took me a while to read through all those profiles one that actually <laughs> made sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us too, because you don't, you're not, um, 
well, you're, you are a creative all the time, right? But <laughs> you're not a creative full-time in your full-time job. So tell us a little bit about what you do in your full-time job. So my full-time job is for a global manufacturing company. And essentially what I do is within our customer service team, I've been in customer service ever since I've been with this company. And um, that's kind of my, my wheelhouse. I like serving other people and customer service is a great avenue for that. But what I do right now is my team um, looks at our business processes um, analyzes our business data and investigates our business systems to figure out how do we make it work better for our team members and our customers. And so literally my entire job is leading my team and how we serve others in the business. That's so awesome. That in turn, serve our customers. It sounds too like that probably plays perfectly as you're working on the creative side hustle. And I know that you've you've taken a step back with that recently, but you haven't let go of it and you intend to come back right. to it. Um, that probably helps you a lot though, just your business knowledge from your full-time job in deciding what to do with your creative business. It definitely helps that there's a bit of a um, perfectionist mentality. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, going into doing the creative stuff and the creative business on the side, it really helps to kind of have the customer service background and the customer service experience because it really helps me tune in on, if I'm at a craft fair, for example, I don't want to be sitting behind my table the whole time, right? I want to be out front because I want people to see me and get to know me. And um, I've always felt in this is probably strongly tied to being a type two that if you make the personal and emotional connection with somebody, the business side of it will start taking care of itself. It's if you get that relationship and that trust equity built, the business takes care of itself. I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. So what would you say has been maybe the thing where you see that the knowing your type as being most helpful whether it's in relationships or how you process conflict or anything, where what has been the area that has been most helpful to know your type? I think the biggest area has definitely been understanding that why it's so hard for me to say no to people and recognizing that it's okay to say no because saying no doesn't mean that I'm not going to be valued and appreciated saying yes and not being able to follow through on the commitment has a worse outcome. Um, you know, if you say yes and you can't do it, then people just stop coming to you. And that's worse than saying, no, I can't, but ask me again at another time and knowing that they'll still come to you when they need you. Yeah. Um, and that's affected everything, relationships, work, my personal life family. Um, it took me a long time to realize and knowing I'm a type two has really helped with this that if I don't say no, not only am I not serving other people, but I'm really not serving myself. And if I'm not serving myself, I can't serve anybody else. Absolutely. It's that whole put your own oxygen mask on first kind of concept. Right. <laughs> what has been, um, 
what so I know when we talked earlier you said that you felt like you were a two that had the type three wing Mm -hmm. how do you see that play out how do you feel like you lean into that type three so (laughs) um I think for me with the type three I So it's difficult with the type two because you tend to be really empathetic and tune into other people's emotions. It's very, very easy to just almost withdraw and not want to be around people. Um, And I think being a wing three, it's funny because people will meet me and they'll say, I'm not sure if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Like I can't figure it out. And it's really for me, my type two kind of wants to be an introvert, but the type three is like, no, you need to be sociable. You need to be um, a little more ambitious and reach out there. Um, so when I, when I wing three hard, um, it works well and it builds the relationship and it helps develop what I need it to do for me. And, um, but then there's definitely a need to recharge from that. Um, and so with being a type three for my wing, um, I, 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 I can tend to over-communicate. Um, so it's really important to me that people are like, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And sometimes I think they're like, okay, well, you gave us a synopsis. We don't need all the details. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it also really plays into that, you know, I've got to build a relationship if I'm going to have the trust equity to still be needed and want it later on. I th- I feel like two and three play really, really, really well together. And um, when I did my disc profile, I was actually like kind of in natural conflict with myself based on my disc profile. And with my Enneagram, I'm not. I've, I actually have my type and my wing and they, they, they play nicely. Yeah. <laughs> I totally get that. I think too, and you know, we had this conversation too. I'm, I'm the type three with the two wing, but for a long time, I thought I was a type two with a three wing. It took kind of getting deeper and, and looking at some different things to realize that it was the reverse. But either way, I think that because of the way that those two play together, I know what you, when you're saying that you over communicate for me, I feel like it's, it's also an external processing. There's, mm-hmm. there's something about wanting other people to yes, understand yes. that processing. Yep, exactly. Yeah. We just went through a project at work with that where, you know, for me, it's I'm going to process this out loud because I need you to understand that this is actually working and that what we've put into place is a good thing. And if I don't process it out loud with you, I just feel like you're not going to understand that. And you're going to think we're not doing enough when we're really going beyond what we should be doing. Right. So. And then, of course, in the feeling center, do you, do you feel that as, as a type two with the three wing that like you're very motivated by emotion? Absolutely. Um, I, I am so motivated, driven, in touch with emotion that there's literally times I have to walk away from stuff because I recognize my, my emotions are just so far over that I'm not even able to be logical. And so recognizing, um, I really, really dug into, especially as a, a two, three, I've really dug into understanding emotional awareness. 
as being aware of the emotions and the triggers that cause them or what allow me to recognize, whoa, this is getting a little out of hand and I need to step away and get my logic back in to homeostasis with the emotion before I can go any further with any of this. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I feel it. I feel emotions very strongly. There's, um, I don't know about you, but my husband likes to watch um, action movies based on like real life events. Mm-hmm. And so watched, I think it was Deepwater Horizon. And I couldn't get through the whole movie because just the the fear and the emotions they were portraying on screen, like I was feeling myself. And I was like, I have to walk away or I'm not going to sleep for days because I'm going to be dreaming about mm-hmm. people on this rig jumping into the water and dying and I just can't do it I've got to walk away from it right yeah I totally get that so I I can be a bit of a true crime junkie when it comes to like podcast or like a documentary kind of thing but when it is or the Murdoch case or or something like that yeah (laughs) but when it's like more of a I guess more like a movie that's based on real events where you can really put Mm -hmm. yourself in their shoes. I'm like you because I have a hard time. It's like, these were real people. This really happened Mm -hmm. to them. And just that empathy that tends to come with those feeling types. I think that that's probably really common. It's it's like our hearts get really tender over stuff like that. And it can be really Mm -hmm. hard um, to stay engaged. And then as a type two, of course, you're constantly helping people and probably feeling like you're taking on their stories too. And that's, right. that's a lot of processing and that's a, needing that space to deflate is probably where that comes from. You're, you're taking on a lot of other people's problems too in, in helping yep. them. Yep. And I think the thing is a lot of, a lot of times you almost don't even realize that you're taking on that problem from them by helping them through it until you've already got into a place of absorbing that emotion and recognizing that that's something that can happen by knowing that that you're a type two and that that's something that's very real for you. It allows you to almost proactively put put up the guards where you need to put up the guards so you don't get pulled into that so much. Um, but it's hard. I mean, I. I think probably the hardest thing, the two hardest things about being a two is the emotional side of it. And then it's the wanting to help and not being asked to help or offering help and it not being accepted in the way that you hoped it would. Absolutely. I can totally see that. That makes sense because that's, yeah. Yeah. Seeking that place. So with, we've already kind of without talking about it, we talked about it, but, you know, in health, the health line, the integration point for the two is the four. So that idea of kind of putting yourself first a little bit, self-care, taking, you know, being aware of your needs. So we've sort of touched on that without touching on that, because you've (laughs) recognized that as you've become more self-aware, you know, that's something you need and you can lean into that. On the flip side, the disintegration point or the stress point would be the type eight. And you know, the, the, the more negative characteristics that come with that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of positive characteristics with the eight, but the more, and I won't even say negative, maybe the more negatively viewed sometimes would be that idea of maybe a bossiness or being a little 
overbearing, you know, or dominant kind of thing. Do you, do you feel like you recognize it when that happens to you? <clears throat> yeah. And if I don't, my husband and my, my uh, steps are very quick to let me know. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think it's for me, that piece of it's always been a struggle with control. Right. And so I want to, I want to, stand up and I want to speak up and I want to, I want to take control and it comes across kind of bossy and overbearing, but it always comes from a good place. Like it's always coming from a place of really wanting to just see the best possible outcome and not recognizing that sometimes you have to give up control for that outcome to happen. Um, it's actually, that's, I would say control it's probably the thing I've been working through the most lately is recognizing I don't have to have the control because trying to control every little thing is like saying, God, I don't trust that you have it. Right. And yeah. so you got to let go of the control because either you trust the one who really is in control or you don't. And if you keep trying to take control back, then you're saying you don't trust them, but it's, that is how the overbearing and the bossy really comes out in me as it looks like I'm just trying to control every little detail. Mm -hmm. And um, it, that really get, just stems from, from fear of things not going the way they need to go. And then if they don't go the way they need to go, what does that do for how I'm seen and accepted and, and loved? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. So with the type two, you know, when you have those times of high stress and we know each other pretty well, and I know that you've been there often, um, that, you know, a lot of people will say it's, it's the, the dominating and the, the, like you said, the controlling, the bossy, but it's also that, you know, the eight, their, their core fear. So the, the anything that comes negative from that type eight revolves around that instinct to protect. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that for a lot of times, a lot of people will see that most often when you, as the two, you want to help, right? You want to make something better for someone. And if they don't want that help, but it's someone that you want to protect from pain right. or from a bad situation or whatever the case may be, I think that's when that, that overbearing, what mm -hmm. people consider to be overbearing can sort of, can sort of show itself, but it is, you know, Again, it all comes from a good place, right? But people don't see that on the outside. <laughs> they just no, see the result of that emotion. Yeah. Right. So Sarah Beth and I know each other. We met each other through a local ministry that she mentioned earlier. It's called The Garden, and it's for women who have faced um, loss of a child or loss of parenthood or you know, just different forms of that, whether it's infertility or infant loss or adoption issues. But um, we met one another because we were in the same, I guess, focus group, what you would call it. We, we both experienced the loss of a child. Um, that's very stressful, obviously. Mm -hmm. how, how did that time and that experience and what you know about yourself now, I mean, how did that all come together for you? Do I mean, Tell us about it if you're comfortable with that. Yeah, so um, our daughter Leona was stillborn um, at about 25 weeks, and um, 
when we were in the hospital, um, we were in labor for, after they induced me, I think I was in labor for almost 12 hours before she was born. Um, and I ended up going home the next day because the hospital had a maternity fair the next day. And they said, well, we can keep you another day or so. And I was like, no, I don't want to be here with the maternity fair coming through. I'd actually had tickets for that maternity fair. So I was like, no, I do not want to be here. I want to go home. But we'd been home from a couple of days and my husband looked at me and he was like, you know what we need to do? And I said, what? He said, we should do a March of Dimes team in her honor. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And what he did um, by knowing me so well and recognizing kind of that type two personality is he knew that I would just absolutely throw myself into it and that I would get competitive and I would try to raise as much money as possible and be the biggest team and the, the highest fundraising team. And by jumping into it and organizing it, it would kind of take my, my stress and my pain away from um, losing our daughter. And, and it did, and it was great. And um, the first year we did it, we raised just over $9,000. The second year we raised over $10,000. Um, and then the third year, we actually ended up not doing it because we had decided to go through adoption and just wanted to focus our efforts there. But after Leona, we had a miscarriage a year later. Then we were approached by a family member about potentially adopting um, the child of um, their son had gone his girlfriend pregnant and she was thinking about making an adoption plan. Um, she decided the week before the baby was born that she was going to keep the baby um and then it just kind of from there we said no let's really look at adoption and we signed on with a lawyer in Greenville and we were with them for just over a year when we matched um with our the um, birth mother who made the adoption plan that gave us our son um and so through all of that the way I dealt with the emotion and just, and, and you know this, I mean, sometimes it just, the grief is so overwhelming. It feels like it's crushing you and it, it comes out of nowhere. Like one night I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't tell you why I woke up, but I just woke up and I felt like I was drowning. And I actually went downstairs and sat on our kitchen floor and just sobbed because, and it was, it was, it was almost primal. It was just screeching sobs. Um, because the grief was just so overwhelming and I, I just didn't want to wake up everybody else in the house. So I went downstairs. Um, and so you have moments like that. And I think for me, the struggle is because I want to, I want people to need something from me. I want people to see that I'm useful and that I can help and that I can give. And so what happened a lot from when we lost Leona in March of 2018 even up until very recently was whenever the emotions would kind of start to overwhelm me, I would almost shut them out and like block them and completely turn and go into um, like protection mode. And instead of focusing on what I needed to do for me to take care of my emotions, I would focus on how can I help somebody else? What can I do for somebody else? And kind of refocus that attention. Um, and it, it, it's not healthy at all. And it, it wasn't a healthy thing. I've actually started counseling to deal with the trauma 
um, that we've just been through in the past three years because losing Leona is obviously a loss and then the miscarriage was a loss, but then adoption has its own trauma and loss associated with it. And it's the craziest feeling to be sitting in a delivery room with a woman and you both hear this baby cry at the same time. And your first thought is just absolute joy that you're finally in a delivery room listening to a baby cry. And then your second thought is, but her first thought is this may be the only time she hears this baby cry. And so it's just this crazy mix of emotions of absolute joy with grief because for me, I understand what it means to grieve a child, right? And so like, I understood that she was going to go through a grief process with this. And um, I was her support person in the hospital and found myself reliving my stages of grief, grief from losing Leona while caring for her and helping her through her stages of grief and taking care of her son who was in the little hospital crib in the room with us. Um, and so, yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's a tricky thing when you're innately just wanting to give and give and give to other people and your natural tendency is so high in empathy to really guard yourself when something traumatic happens and recognize that if you don't deal with it, it's just going to get worse. Um, and you're never really going to be able to truly be there for other people through it. I can't even watch This Is Us anymore. I think Me either. <laughs> going through a miscarriage was when Kate um, miscarried her baby. Sorry if you've never seen This Is Us and everyone. Yes, something. and a spoiler alert, but it's pretty early on, so you'll yeah, figure exactly. it out. <laughs> yeah. But like after that, I was like, I just can't watch this anymore because the empathy has gone to a whole nother level because now I actually can truly identify with that feeling. And I just, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with the emotion. Mm -hmm. Well, you, um, you stuck with it longer than I did because just the loss in the first season was enough to tell me I couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but, but yeah, no, that, and that everything that you said, it, it tracks, you know, you want to help other people. And then when you're the one who needs help, Sometimes rather than go to that healthy four and take care of yourself, it's a lot easier to try to figure out how you can help somebody else and mm -hmm. enforce it even, which can be yep. when sometimes it feels, I guess, can feel negative. Some people, I think a lot of people don't notice that about twos um, when you get in that place of, you know, intense loss and grief and stress is that like, you're the one that really needs to be cared for but you're, mm -hmm. you want to care for everyone else. So you can't, you, yeah, you can't receive it the way that most people can. Right. And I don't know if you experienced this having a wing too, but as much as I want to help other people, when I was going through that and people wanted to do something to help me, I almost couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. Like it almost felt, it, it almost felt suffocating because it felt like they were saying, well, you're not strong enough to deal with this. So let me help you through it. And I couldn't stand the thought that, and I guess this is my wing three. I couldn't stand the thought that I was being seen as somebody that was weak or somebody that needed to be pitied because I'd gone through this 
the image I wanted to portray was, yeah, this sucks, but I'm okay and I'm going to make it. And so every time somebody offered something that they thought was helpful, I almost took it as an insult. Yeah. Yeah, because you were protecting you're protecting yourself from that, yep. from that fear of, I totally get it actually, because yeah, you're right. And, and I think in that way, the, the two wing three and the three wing two are very, very similar. Um, is, is the, the, I guess the deeper motivation maybe that's different, but on the outside, it's going to look very much the same. I didn't, I was the same way. I, I didn't do well. Um, I could receive the help. I could let people help, but I couldn't be engaged in how they were trying to help me because as the three, I didn't, I wanted to appear as though I was handling things well. Um, right. The number of people who would be like, wow, you have handled this so well. You've, you've handled yourself with, with such grace. You know, you've, you've figured out how to do this the healthy way, blah, blah, blah. I, no, I didn't. Mm-mm. I really right. didn't. <laughs> exactly. I, appreciated, I appreciated all of those wonderful compliments and everything. But the truth is I, I wanted to make sure that it looked like I was handling things that way. That was my mm-hmm. three, right? It was a very, I guess, image oriented thing. I didn't want anyone to think that I couldn't handle it. Um, mm-hmm. But when I wasn't around people, my, my three went to the nine, which I completely disengaged. Um, yep. we, we, we can joke about it now because I recognize what it was I was, what, that I was doing, but like my husband knew my bed was my safe place. Mm-hmm. If the, the minute I got home from work, I put on my pajamas and I got in bed. I ate in bed. I watched movies in bed. Like I did, I would not leave my bed most of the time unless I had to go to work or I had to go somewhere and be seen. But for the most part, I mean, that, that detachment, that kind of apathy for anything other than the absolutely necessary, that was where I was. Um, So I could accept the help unless I thought it made me look like I couldn't handle it. So I totally get that. And then not, and then when people did come in because of the two wing, you know, they were, and that's, that's the hard part when you have a loss like that, whether it's personally or tangentially because like I know like even for my parents I mean my my parents lost a grandchild that happened for your parents too and you you know the the the, for you you're probably your strongest instinct and then for me just that tangential instinct is to protect them right they're dealing with grief too so I want to help them process that yep but doing that you know then you're not helping yourself sometimes process the way you need to Mm-hmm. And so I, don't, I don't know if you experienced this, but I almost found myself getting angry when I was trying to help other people process through it. I was, I just, I found myself getting angry at them that they needed help getting processed through it because I'm like, this, it's, this happened to my body. This was my child that I carry and I want to help you get through this, but it's almost making me angry that you're needing me to help you through this. And it was completely irrational. At the t- I mean, it was just, I look back on it, I'm like, wow, I'm really glad that my parents didn't just disown me. <laughs> I responded to um, some of it because I, I, it was almost like Jekyll and Hyde. I'd want to go and help them and protect them. But then the next minute, I would just be almost ugly to them yeah. about because I was like, stop acting like this was your baby. It wasn't your baby, but it was, it was their grandbaby. It was just a different relationship than, than what I knew and I couldn't see it then. 
Yeah. And again, that makes sense. The stress that 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 fear level and, and the the general tendency towards anger in the type eight when you get upset. Mm -hmm. That that totally makes sense that it would have come out yep. that way. Um more, I think more people, the people who were closer to me, it it worried them because I didn't get angry because I didn't engage. Yeah. That was that was the, I think the biggest difference. Um, I might would have I might have thought that. And, well, I know I'm I'm with you right there. I mean, I've had those thoughts. <laughs> I've certainly had those thoughts, but I never voiced them because I didn't really voice anything. You yeah. know, I just completely disengaged from it. Yeah. So, I think there are. I mean, you know, and that's and that's going to be true in all kinds of places when it comes to the enneagram that there are certain combinations types and wings that might look more similar because of how they play. I remember with all those connection points, the reason I think, the, and truly, I think the reason that I eventually figured out I was the three with the two wing versus the two with the three wing was because I never could make that connection to the type eight. There was something mm -hmm. about that connection that never fit, you know? Um, yeah. And once I looked at it the other way and I was looking at that that stress detachment that comes in the type nine, that was when it all clicked together. But the connection, yep. a, a lot of those other connection points are the same, you know, being side by side and, and, you know, the three and with the two wing, even though, but then the three goes to a six and health where you're very community based, based, and that can very much look like a two, right. Helping other people and wanting to do mm -hmm. for other people. So there's a lot of those yep. connection points. I feel like around those two numbers that can make them look very similar on the outside. And then, like I said, even as the person that's identifying there, there's just a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. So, And I definitely, when you look at that connector for me, the eight resonates so much more than the nine. Yeah. Like I, look, I, I think about the nine and I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> I <see> that at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the eight, I, full on I, I have no yeah full on with the eight and I can see how it 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 makes that point with the two very easily for me yeah yeah well thank and thank you for sharing that I know um yeah I asked if you're okay with that because I know how hard that can be um but I do appreciate it and it is how we know each other so that I mean that's that's how we connected Sarah Beth has been um we were in the same group for a long time. She led our, our small group for a long time. So she has been someone that I've always been able to turn to, which I appreciate. And when she told me in our in our group that she was a type two, it, it didn't surprise me at all. <laughs> it, it fit perfectly because she is always doing for other people. And, and you like to, so in addition to what you were talking about with the March of Dimes, you've also helped with other fundraisers and stuff. So is that where you see yourself applying that on the larger scale most often? Is fundraising causes? Um, probably, yeah. I have a really hard time if I see a cause that needs help, not just jumping in and throwing my support behind it. Um, and I've always done that in college. Uh, my sorority's philanthropy was breast cancer awareness. And so every year I was super engaged with Race for the Cure, how to raise money um, for breast cancer education and awareness. What do we need to do? Um, I've been really involved in March of Dimes. Uh, the second year we were the ambassador family uh, for Spartanburg, which just 
my type two um, wing three, just love that. <laughs> um, <Yep. laughs> it, it, it was so, what was so exciting about it was we got to bring a voice to the March of Dimes that wasn't just prematurity. You know, it wasn't so much, so many people think the March of Dimes is only premature babies and it's not. It's also about having strong moms that have healthy pregnancies. And so when we talked at the, um, at the dinner that they do every year, the, um, they do like a silent auction dinner to raise money for the March of Dimes. When we spoke at that, I mean, I went in, I had like all the facts about stillbirth, about this, about, you know, all the little details because it was so important to bring a voice to something that people don't realize is a thing. I mean, before I had, before I lost Leona and I connected with you and the other girls in our group, I, I didn't even know that stillbirth was a thing, really. You know, I thought, oh, you get through your first trimester and you're holding. Like, doctors don't tell you that other stuff can really happen unless there's something wrong with your baby. And she was perfectly healthy. So yeah. there was never any awareness for me that that could potentially be a thing. But yeah, um, March of Dimes, breast cancer awareness, um, at work when we do challenges for like food drives and, you know, I've, I've got to be on the, I want to be on the winning team and I want to go get all the food and um, do all the food. And, and I think sometimes when you think about causes, you know, there's a saying give until it hurts. And, and sometimes for me, it's even, I give beyond that point. And I'm like, okay, whoa, like, you actually pay the electrical bill this month. You might want to slow down. Yeah. <laughs> Stop giving so much because, you know, it's, you just want to do everything you can. It's, you know, I, I see that child that post and, and, and a mom's group about a child needing winter clothes. And I just want to go to the store and, and get all the clothes or rally to my friends and be like, Hey, what do you have? What can we get together? Um, so yeah, the, the fundraising, the helping, the, it's, it's massive, but I was also raised with a very strong bias for social action. My parents are both very strongly geared towards social action. Their parents were geared towards social action. And so it was just raised in me as an innate value yeah. that you do for others and care for others whenever you can. Um, that's probably a big part of how I ended up being a type two because yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I was raised with that you give to others whenever you can, you're doing for somebody else. Um, I, I think, you know, this, I was raised Jewish and I got baptized as an adult, um, but in, in the, in the Jewish faith, um, there's a saying that if you save a life, you save the world. Mm. So that was just such a guiding principle for me growing up. And even still now that I'm, I'm not superwoman. I can't go out and save everybody in the world. But if I can touch one person's life in a positive way and in that sense, save it, then I've saved an entire world because I have then touched everybody that they touch. Right. And it's just hardwired into me and it's such a core value. Yeah. That's a good value to have. <laughs> That's a 
great value to have. Until it hurts. And until, it hurts. <laughs> until it hurts. And then you need to back off, right? Take right. yourself off a little bit. But yeah, no, I, I love it. I love it. Sarah Beth, thank you so much. Um, and I know you. I kind of had to come to you last minute. So your willingness to help was very, very appreciated. <laughs> Yay, thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, no, seriously, thanks for having me. That's my first time getting invited to be on something like this. And so it was really exciting and fun and an honor to be asked. And, and I thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, this has been awesome. That's all for this week's episode of Makers Chat. We cannot wait to share more with you about the Enneagram in coming episodes. Just remember to check out our show notes for links to learn more from Miss Hillary Kay, to get on the list for her book launch. And of course, if you haven't already joined us on Facebook inside the Makers Chat community, please go ahead and do that. That's where you can go for deeper conversation to connect with not only the creatives that are here on the podcast, but other creatives just like you in our community. You guys have a wonderful day and we'll talk again soon.